Amen. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This morning, we're going to continue our study in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to continue studying the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is referred to as the Hall of Faith chapter for the past month, we've been dedicating studies on the life and testimony of members of the Hall of Faith. We've been really studying and examining the lives of Old Testament saints, and we've been trying to, to learn from them, be encouraged by them, and, and even be inspired by the relationship with God and all that they were able to accomplish and endure because of their faith. Um, there's a verse in Romans chapter 15, verse four. And this is what Paul says. He says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I really like that verse there in Romans 15, 4, because really Paul teaches us that everything that was written in the Old Testament, it was written for our learning. It was written for our benefit, for our comfort, that we might read these stories and the deeds of these saints and that we might be encouraged by their lives. And, and so we've been studying the, the hall of faith. And really we've been getting motivated and inspired by these champions of the faith. And in last Sunday, as we continued our study on the hall of faith, we finished up talking about Abraham, about the life and testimony of Abraham and we saw really four things concerning Abraham by way of review we saw that by faith Abraham obeyed God when he was called to get out of his country and go to a land that God would show him we also saw that by faith Abraham sought after God when he was dwelling in the promised land as a foreigner and as a visitor, we saw that by faith, Abraham believed God when he was given the promise of a son. And we also saw that by faith, Abraham trusted God when he was tested by God. And Abraham offered up his only begotten son, Isaac. And so last Sunday, we looked at the life and testimony of Abraham and we just saw that he is such an example in such an encouragement to all believers. And after studying his life, we're able to understand a, a little more why he's called the father of the faith. Father Abraham. I know personally when I'm in heaven, I'm looking forward to, to meeting Abraham. And just to fellowshipping with him. 
precious saint. Now, this morning, we're going to continue our study on the Hall of Faith and the next member of its company that we're going to be examining is Moses. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about Moses. And so if you have your Bibles open in Hebrews 11, let's begin our study by reading verse 23 through verse 29. And this is what the author says. Everyone has it. Amen. Amen. This is what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And we'll finish our reading there in verse 29. So this morning, the, the next member of the hall of faith that we want to examine is the life and testimony of Moses. Now, like Abraham, whom we covered last Sunday, Moses is a very important and a very prominent figure in the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about Moses. You know, a, a brother actually did the math and, and he was able to discover that Moses in some way or somehow is mentioned approximately 784 times in the Bible. 784 verses mention Moses. Really, other than the Lord Jesus, Moses is the most mentioned figure in the Bible. He's very important to the scriptures. You know, the, the Bible teaches us that, that really Moses was inspired by God to write the, the first five books of the Bible. The, the law, the, the law of Moses, the, the Pentateuch. Moses was inspired by God to write the first five books. Moses, he was commissioned by God to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Moses, he was entrusted by God to give the law to the nation of Israel. And even the Bible teaches us 
that Moses was chosen by God to serve as a type of Messiah, as the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the more you study the life of Moses and the more you read about him, it really becomes clear that Moses is probably one of the greatest men God ever made. Moses, man, he was special. He was was incredible. The things he was able to do through his faith in God. You know, the Bible describes him as a prophet, as a, a liberator, as a lawgiver, as a statesman, as a shepherd. And even the Bible continuously tells us that he was a faithful servant. Much can be learned from the life and testimony of Moses. And and so this morning in our study, we're going to examine the life and testimony of Moses. And we're going to be looking at, at two things, two things concerning the life and testimony of Moses. Really what we're going to do is we're going to take this Sunday and next Sunday and talk about Moses because so much could be said about him that I didn't want to cram it all in in one study. And I wanted to make sure to get out on time for many of us could go home and watch the Mexico game. Amen. So so I wanted to be, be conscious of time and And so we're going to just look at two things this morning concerning the life and testimony of Moses. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing we want to look at is concerning the parents of Moses, the parents of Moses. If you have your Bibles open there, Hebrews chapter 11, let's read verse 23 again. And this is what we read by faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So the first thing we're going to look at concerning Moses is concerning his parents. Now, The story of Moses begins in Exodus chapter two with his birth. And the Bible teaches us that Moses was born during very deadly and difficult times. As you read the book of Exodus, it begins by sharing with us that as the children of Israel were in the land of Egypt. The Bible tells us that they began to greatly multiply and they began to increase. But the Bible teaches us that as they continue to multiply there in the land of Egypt, that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, he wasn't too happy about all these Israelites increasing in numbers. And he began to see them as a great threat. You know, and and, and as I, I think about that, I think how whenever we as Christians begin to grow 
in our relationship with Christ, Satan, he doesn't like that. Satan, he he gets unhappy, you might say, and he tries to do whatever it takes to stop us from growing. And I would encourage you to be on guard and understand that as you begin to grow in your relationship with Christ, the enemy is going to attack you even that much more. And and really, Exodus, we, we see the nation of Israel, they were growing, they were increasing. But, but Pharaoh, he didn't really like that. He saw them as a great threat to Egypt. And so Pharaoh, he began to afflict the children of Israel with heavy burdens. And he began to make their lives bitter with hard bondage. In other words, Pharaoh began to enslave the nation of Israel. They were growing, they were increasing. And so Pharaoh wanted to stop them. And so he began to enslave them with hard bondage. But the Bible teaches us that the more the nation of Israel were afflicted, the more they began to multiply, the more they began to grow. And so Pharaoh, seeing them multiply, seeing them grow, he thought of another idea to stop them. And this was his idea. He made a decree or a law that all the newborn males born in the house of Israel, all newborn Jewish males had to be cast in the river and killed. You might say in in Egypt there with Pharaoh, Really, for the first time, Satan began to persecute the nation of Israel. And Pharaoh made this decree that all the newborn baby boys had to be cast in the river and killed. And so it was during this time, this atmosphere, this setting, that baby Moses was born into the world. Moses was born during a time of death and during a time of bondage. But the Bible teaches us that by faith, when Moses was born, his parents, Amram and Jochebed from the tribe of Levi, by faith, they hid Moses from the decree of death. And even the author tells us that when Moses was born, his parents saw that he was a a beautiful child. The, The parents saw Moses as a precious gift from God. And they believed that God had something better for Moses than death. They believed that, that God had a plan. God had a purpose for Moses. And for three months, 
by faith, they hid Moses. They loved him. They valued his life. And they were not afraid of, Mo, of the Pharaoh's decree. Really, I, I like to see it like this. Moses' parents, they saw great potential in Moses' life. They knew that he was special. They knew that, that this child was precious and a gift from God. And they saw so much potential in Moses' life. And by faith, they hit him. By faith, they protected him. And they kept him from the hands of Pharaoh. Man, that, that's great faith. And it's so neat to think that God rewarded the faith of these parents. God rewarded the courage and the love of these parents. Because as we all know, Moses ended up being very special. Amen. So special that this one man God used to change the course of of an entire nation. But it was the parents. That got it started. By faith. They hid Moses. From the decree. Of death. You know the, the influence. Of a parent. On a child's life. Is incomparable. The influence. Of a parent. Behind every great man. And woman is a great parent. Parents make a big difference. And I don't know how many parents are here this morning. I'm taking quite a few as I look into the audience. But I would just say this. Parents make a big difference. You will make a huge difference in the life of your child if you choose to do so parents make all the difference in the world. And, and I think about these parents about Amron and Jochebed who refused to give their child over to Egypt and to the decree of Pharaoh. And when I think about that, I think praise God for parents who refuse to give their children over to the decree of this world. Praise God for parents who offer protection from sin at home. Praise God. You know, the, the safest place Moses was at when he was born was in the house of his parents. That's where he was protected. That's where he was kept from Egypt and from the decree of Pharaoh. And I say, praise God for those parents who offer protection from sin at their home and who serve as an example to their children of what it means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I praise God now more than ever that growing up, my home was a place of protection 
that growing up my home was a place where Jesus was first and Jesus was honored. I, I never had to worry about seeing alcohol being drunk or seeing cigarettes being smoked or seeing or hearing swear words being used. But my home was a place of protection, a place of refuge, a place of safety from sin. And you want to know something personally? My parents have impacted and influenced my life so much. Just seeing their example and just seeing their love for Jesus from an early age, they taught me and they showed me what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Really, the the parents, it's their responsibility and duty to instill in their children principles and, and values that are honoring to God. And, and, and parents, man, you, you can make an impact in the life of your child. And it's your responsibility to be the example, to show your children what it means to serve and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the parent's duty and responsibility to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's the type of parents that Moses had. And so the Bible teaches us that, that by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months from the decree of Pharaoh. Now, as you continue to read Exodus, you learn that after the three months were over, Moses' mom, he, she couldn't hide him any longer. And so I'm sure you all know the story. The Bible teaches us that she built an ark. She put Moses in the ark and she placed the ark in the river, the the river Nile, I'm certain. And so Moses's mom hid him, but she couldn't hide him any longer. He probably was a a crybaby making too much noise. And so she put him in the ark and put the ark in the river. But the Bible tells us that, that God's hand was with Moses and and God was working out his plans. He was in control because around the same time that Moses' mom was putting him in the river, around that same time, the daughter of Pharaoh went to the river to take a bath. And the Bible teaches us that as she was taking a bath, she discovered the ark And she discovered baby Moses. And when she discovered Moses, the Bible teaches us that she had compassion on Moses. And Moses became her son. 
And Moses was raised in the royal palaces of Egypt. But his story began with godly parents believing that God had something better for their son. These parents, by faith, they saw potential in the life of Moses. They saw that that Moses was special, that he was a beautiful child, and they saw potential in his life. And listen to this. His parents were willing to risk their lives to see that potential fulfilled. They believed in their son. They saw potential and they were willing to risk their lives for their son, Moses. What an example. What parents. Amen. We need more parents like that in this country and in this world. You know, as I think about Moses's parents, you know, I begin to think of of all the children today. And of all the the young people who need someone to to value them, who need someone to to see potential in their lives, who who need someone to to help them fulfill their potential. You know, maybe this morning you're you're not a, a parent, but you can be a mentor. You know, mentors are desperately needed. In our generation today, so many children, so many young people grow up with no parent in the home, with no father or with no one to look up to. And, and, and like Moses's parents, we need to be that mentor. We need to be that person and allow God to use us to see potential. In young people's lives, in the lives of children, and to do everything in our power to help them fulfill their potential. We need to make disciples for Christ. You know, if there's one thing that I admired so much about my mom is that my mom was a mentor. She dedicated her life to mentor young people, children, young couples, and even older people who needed it. But my mom was a mentor. And really, personally, she mentored my life. You know, I think of my mom and I think how she believed in me. And she saw potential in my life when nobody else did. When everybody else was giving up on me. When everybody else was saying that I blew it. And there was no hope. There was no future. When everybody else kind of said, well, Adam, he's already on the deep end. The point of no return. He already wasted his life. My mom, she didn't think that way at all. And she saw potential 
And like Moses' mom, she believed in her own way that I was a beautiful child. And she did not give me over to the things of this world. But she prayed for me. She fought for my life. She ministered and instilled godly principles and virtues in my life. And she was my mentor. She believed in me and she saw potential in my life. And I often think maybe this morning she's smiling down right now. And she's saying to herself, good thing I saw what nobody else saw. Because that son, Adam, he turned out all right. He turned out all right. But she saw potential. She was a mentor. And that's what the church needs. And that what this world needs. We need more mentors. We need more mentors. We need Christians who are going to be obedient to the great commission and they are going to start making disciples. Guess what? You don't have to be a pastor or a preacher or a teacher to make disciples. You don't need a pulpit. You don't need this platform to make disciples for Christ, but you personally on your own time, you can disciple up your children. You can disciple up your neighbors. You can disciple up your family members. You can disciple up even your schoolmates. Some of you younger people for the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to use you as a mentor. As a mentor to disciple up someone for the kingdom of God. The greatest investment you can make. Listen to this. This, this, is, this is a good point. Everybody wants to know, how should I invest my time? How should I invest my money? How should I invest my resources and energy? Let me tell you how you should invest them. The greatest investment you can make is investing into the life of someone else for the kingdom of God. That's how you should be investing your time, your energy, your resources. Invest in someone else for the glory of Christ. Invest in your children. Invest in your friends or your schoolmates or a young person here at church. That is the greatest investment that you can make investing in the life of someone else for the kingdom of God. Because listen to this, that child that you have, that young person sitting next to you, that son, that daughter, that neighbor might very well be the next Moses and God might use them to change the course of an entire nation. That child that you have, that could possibly be the next Moses. And God can use him or her to reach out to millions and millions of people. We must never underestimate the value of one life. For that one life, might impact 
a million lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, throughout the scriptures, we find all kinds of of unknown heroes that God used to reach out to one person. But that one person that they reached out to was able to affect multitudes for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, I always think of Ananias. Now, some of us in here, we don't probably know who Ananias was. But we read about him in Acts chapter 9. Ananias was the one person God used to reach out to the Apostle Paul. And it was Ananias that God used and that God sent to pray for the Apostle Paul and to baptize him and to really show him the the, the first love in the family of God. And he's never, ever mentioned in the Bible other there in Acts chapter nine. The Bible really teaches us, and I'm sure he reached out to more, but that Ananias only reached out to that one person. But what a person that was, because we all know what the apostle Paul was able to do for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Paul, who did Paul reach out to? Paul reached out to many, yes, but we all know he had his Timothy, that one person that he mentored, that he discipled up. And church history tells us that that Timothy there, a pastor in Ephesus, was able to make a difference for the Lord Jesus. Peter mentored up Mark. And we all know that Mark, through his gospel, has been able to reach out to millions and millions of people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let let me mention maybe a name you've never heard of. His name was Edward Kimball. Who was Edward Kimball? Oh, he was a humble Sunday school teacher in the year 1856. But you'll never guess who was one of his students that he led to Christ. Anybody? I don't think so, huh? <laughs> D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody. Who was D.L. Moody? Well, he was pretty much the most influential evangelist in the late 18 and early 1900s. D.L. Moody led millions and millions of people to the feet of Jesus Christ. But it all started with humble Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher who chose to pour his life and invest in young D.L. Moody. What about Mordecai Ham? If you've never heard that name, he was an evangelist in 1934, and he probably wasn't too popular, and he probably didn't have too big of a ministry, but historians tell us that on one night during his evangelism uh, meetings, you'll never guess who he led to the feet of Jesus. Oh, just a humble evangelist we refer to as Billy Graham. Can you imagine this one man, if that was the only person he reached out to, 
and mentored for Christ, Billy Graham. We all know what Billy Graham has done for the kingdom of God. And all I I, I share with you these things is for this reason. It makes all the difference in the world to mentor that one person. It makes all the difference in the world to invest and to pour your life into one person because you never know what that person is going to do for the glory of Christ and for the kingdom of God. So next time you're at home and your child is just running amok, remember that that could be the next Moses. And so make sure that you're being faithful and you're being an example to that young child. And so the first thing we see in the life and testimony of Moses is concerning his parents. Moses' parents, by faith, hid him three months from the decree of Pharaoh and God honored and God rewarded their faith. Let's continue. And the second thing we want to look at is the resignation of Moses. First, we looked at the parents of Moses. Now we want to look at the resignation of Moses. And let's read verses 24 through verse 27 again. And this is what we read. By faith, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So the next thing we want to look at is the resignation of Moses. Now, as I said earlier, Moses was raised in the royal palaces of Egypt as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, man, Moses, he would have had a high position within Egypt and many privileges would have been given to Moses. You know, Jewish tradition states that as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it could have been possible that Moses was next in line to inherit the throne of Egypt. Now, we're not really certain about that, whether or not he was next in line to become Pharaoh, but we do know this. As a member of the royal family, Moses was in a comfortable, high position in Egypt. In other words, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses had it made. Moses had it made. He had 
all the pleasures and all the riches of Egypt at his fingertips. It would be comparable to being the son or the daughter of President Obama or a wealthy family today. Moses had it made as he was growing up. But listen to this. The author of the Hebrews, and he's really the only one that mentions this. He kind of gives us the spiritual insight of what took place there in Exodus 2. The author tells us that when Moses became of age, probably at the age of, of you know, a younger man, you know, already grown up, the author tells us that by faith, he resigned his position in Egypt. That by faith, when he became of age, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What does that mean? In other words, by faith, Moses He gave up all the glories and all the pleasures of Egypt. Moses had it made. He was living the comfortable life. He had everything there close and near at his fingertips. But by faith, he gave it all up. And he chose rather to identify and suffer With the people of God. By faith, Moses, man, he forsook Egypt. Moses rebelled against the culture and he chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What an example. What a testimony that this man, he understood that the passing pleasures of sin, that the passing pleasures of Egypt could not compare with the eternal glories and riches found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Moses forsook Egypt. He resigned from his position by faith because he knew that that Egypt And everything it had to offer was just passing. That it had no substance. That it couldn't satisfy or fill his heart. But he understood that sin only offers passing pleasures. That sin, it's entertaining for a season. For a moment. But when the season is over, all that is left is death and destruction. And Moses, he understood that. You know, Satan, Satan disguises sin so carefully. You know, the the Bible really describes Satan as the master deceiver who deceives The world. And this is what Satan does. He packages sin and he gives the impression 
that the pleasures of sin are last, that the pleasures of sin are, are satisfying, that the pleasures of sin are fulfilling. He wants people to think that the party is going to last forever. That's what Satan wants people to think that the music is not going to stop. That the show is not going to end. And that's what Satan does. He deceives the world. He deceives people in thinking that sin is something that it's not. But the truth is, and this is what the Bible teaches, that the pleasures of sin, they only last a brief moment. And when it's all over, all that's left is shame, misery, bondage, and ultimately death. Listen to this. Eventually, the buzz, it goes away. Eventually. And if you've never been buzzed before, don't, but I've experienced it. It goes away. Eventually, the high is over. Eventually, the fun ends. Eventually, the club closes. Eventually, eventually, the pleasure, it stops. The, 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 the smoke clears. And the only thing that's left is death, destruction, emptiness, loneliness, shame, and bondage. That's all that's left. That's all that sin produces. Money, fame, drugs, alcohol, power, respect, illicit relationships, whatever you want to add to that list, can never permanently satisfy the longing of the human heart. This is what sin just does. Sin is just a quick fix. That's all sin is. Sin is just like putting a, a band-aid on an open wound, but it has no lasting value. It's just a quick fix. And the Bible describes it as the passing pleasures of sin. One of the most powerful descriptions you'll read of sin in the Bible. The passing pleasures of sin. And Moses... Man, bless his heart. He understood that about sin. Moses was not deceived. He was not blinded living in Egypt. He didn't forget what his mom taught him. What his mom showed him as she was nursing him and rearing him up. And Moses understood that Egypt and all its pleasures would not last forever. That it was just temporary, that it was a, a facade, that it was just a, a smoke screen. And Moses saw by faith that it would not last forever. And so what did Moses do? He denied himself and he took up his cross and he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Moses did. What an example. What a champion of the faith. He 
took up his cross, you might say, before there was ever even a cross, by faith. And he resigned. He, he gave up the world. And he lost his life in order that he might save it. In Christ. Moses understood that Egypt and all the treasures of it could not compare with the, what the Lord Jesus had to offer. And Moses understood that. He saw it by faith. And he made the decision to forsake Egypt and to identify with and suffer with the people of God. Look at what the Lord says in John 14 verses 13 and 14. And I'll just read it, family. Jesus said this, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The waters of this world, the pleasures of sin, they might quench your thirst temporarily for a moment, but eventually they're going to leave you thirsty and wanting more. But the Bible teaches us that the waters that Christ offers not only will quench your thirst temporarily, but they will quench your thirst eternally. And Christ will leave you completely satisfied and filled. Jesus, he's the only one who can satisfy the longing of the human heart. Jesus is the satisfier of life. He offers what the world can't offer. He's the only one that can fill the void. And I would tell you, friend, brother, and sister, in life, you don't need more money. You don't need more cars. You don't need more homes. Young person, You don't need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You don't even need more friends. But you need more of Jesus. He is all you need. He's all you need is is Jesus. He's the only one that can fill the void and the emptiness of the human heart. Everything else, it's all passing pleasures. Everything else, it only offers temporary value. You know, the other day I I was visiting a friend and and I was there fellowshipping with some friends at a house. And um, all of a sudden a stranger um, came through the the back and he started to, to wave towards my friend. And my friend looked a little nervous, you know, because he didn't recognize the the young man. And and it was late and and it was a a dark neighborhood and so right away i I went for my friend to to talk for him and and, and the young man he was looking for someone 
know, by, by a certain nickname, I think he was looking for Popeye or something like that. And I told them, you know, you know what, friend? No, no one lives here by the name of Popeye. I, I think you have the wrong address. And he did. He later confirmed it. But after he told me that, he, he said, maybe you can help me. And I said, okay, I would love to help you. What's up, man? And I was here thinking he was going to ask for a ride or ask to use my phone or ask for a dollar maybe for some water or something. But he said, yeah, I'm looking to buy some cocaine. Maybe you can help me score a 20. And with a smile on my face, I said, oh, yeah, I can help you. I can help you. I got something you're going to like better than cocaine. And right away, his eyes got big. And he said, what is it? Tell me, give it to me. And I told him, I got Jesus. And I want you to know him. Because cocaine is going to give you a high for a little bit. But then the high is going to go away. But Jesus, the high he gives, it never goes away. And I began to share with him about Christ. Now, I would love to tell you that he gave his life to Christ, but the truth is he didn't. He loved the world too much. He loved Egypt too much, but that's not what happened to Moses. Moses, he forsook Egypt. He denied himself and he took up his cross and he followed the Lord Jesus because Moses understood he saw it by faith. He, he was from the old covenant, but by faith, he already understood the new covenant. And he just saw it by faith that in Christ, you can experience more riches and more treasures and more blessings than the world can offer. And he resigned his position. And, and listen to this family. I'm going to close with this. Like Moses, this is what we can learn from this champion of the faith. Be, be encouraged this morning. Learn something from Moses. Like Moses, every single day as believers, we need to deny ourselves. We need to take up our cross and we need to make the decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the calling. We need to lose ourselves in order that we might save ourselves in Christ. We need to die daily. The cross, that's the solution. That's the answer. We're going to talk a little bit about this next week. But the cross is the answer for salvation from the penalty of sin. Through the cross of Christ, we are saved. We're able to be reconnected to God. Yes, we all know that and we all have accepted that. But listen to this. Through the cross, we're also able to be saved from the power of sin. And that we must apply every single day. You need the cross of Christ as much 
today as when you first came to Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. You deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow Jesus. The Lord Jesus himself said, if anyone desires to come after me. How many of you desire to come after Christ? How many of you desire to serve Christ, to follow Christ? How many of us are Christians here this morning? Well, if you raised your hand, this is for you. Look at what, look at the promise. Look at the calling. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, he's going to be rich and he's going to be prosperous and he's going to. No, that's not what he says. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's the calling. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian walk, it's filled with sacrifice and it's filled with commitment. Listen, it's not easy taking up your cross. It's not easy following Christ in the midst of a fallen world. That is not easy. It's next to impossible, you might say. But by the grace of God, And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to stand up for God in the midst of a fallen world. And there's sacrifice, there's commitment, but listen to this. At the end of the day, only the cross is satisfying. Only the cross is fulfilling. Only the cross can bring the joy and the purpose and the value that we so desperately need. And it's only found in Christ. And that's what we learned from Moses. He forsook Egypt. He forsook all the treasures of Egypt, all the temporal pleasures, because he was looking to the reward. And he understood that a greater reward is found in the person of Christ than anything that this world has to offer. And I would encourage you, family, take up your cross, deny yourself, and keep following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in life, there's, there's really only two paths. That's how I like to look at it. There's the path of the cross, and there's the path of the crowd. Now, the path of the crowd, it offers immediate rewards, immediate pleasures, but ends in eternal destruction. But the path of the cross, it offers immediate sacrifices, immediate difficulties, but ends in eternal life. And this morning, I asked the question, what path are you walking? 
Are you walking the path of the cross that leads to life? Or are you walking the path of the crowd that leads to destruction? Precious friend, this morning, like Moses, choose life. Choose the cross and keep on walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one day you will be rewarded and it will be so much better and greater than anything this world has to offer. You just keep your eyes on eternity and you just keep walking with Jesus. And you don't give in to this world system. Don't give in to this Egypt that surrounds us, but just walk with your cross towards Christ. And when it's all said and done, you will be rewarded. You know, when I was thinking of Moses, and as he forsook Egypt and denied himself and took up his cross, I began to imagine that maybe Moses sang this song as he was forsaking Egypt. Maybe he was singing with the cross before me and Egypt behind me. With the cross before me and Egypt behind me. With the cross before me. In Egypt behind me, no turning back, no turning back, no turning back, family, with the cross before us and the world behind us. And one day we will be rewarded. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Next week we'll return. And we'll talk about two more things in the life of this champion of the faith, Moses. Let's conclude in a word of prayer. If you would stand with me.